Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 601, Ashes Preview and the Future of Cricket with Dan Jatz. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things are going pretty well. Hot off the heels, obviously, of a an action-packed sporting weekend. And now, looking forward to an interview with, with Dan and a chance to talk about, obviously, a, a big summer of cricket coming up. I know all of our American listeners now might be slightly yeah. glazing over, but we cover some some good topics, including the upcoming Ashes just some YouTube talk and also the, I mean, we'll talk major league cricket a little bit in the development of franchise cricket. So worth sticking in with it will kick in about 30 minutes into the episode. How are you? You're the one who's gone through multiple jet setter. Yeah. Multiple, multiple flights changed, gone through, passed through several time zones in a completely different country on a different continent since we last spoke. This is as close as we've ever recorded. I think. I can yeah. I can feel the the bass in your voice rocking oh, my hotel room. <laughs> excellent, and not the not the seagulls who might make a guest appearance at some point over the course of this no, podcast. A lot of seagulls in Aberdeen, Scotland. Even though I'm probably like a mile from the water still. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh it's been fun. Got to go to London for a day. Got to you know get my feet wet a little bit in the London before we go back next week for Royal Ascot, and then got to uh, have the great experience that is the easy jet <laughs> the the world's greatest budget airline says no one <laughs> yeah i mean the thing is right when you're taking an easy jet flight your your expectations you are yeah exactly and, and, and certainly at this point the you know the yeah. review is out like there's no it, it, no surprises i mean it is amazing though that you people are legitimately treated like cattle it's like it's so degrading you're not even a human <laughs> like the fact that you can't even get a drink you know like if you were dying of thirst of water like sorry did you did you prepay did you prepay for one did no? you prepay <laughs> did you prepay did you prepay and buy either so one you, so you can't you buy can on the flight like, you can buy but it's more expensive on the flight okay and did not you, much but did you prepay no, I didn't do either. I just oh, sat you... there like a cattle without any water. Because <laughs> how long is that flight? An hour? An hour. Yeah, yeah, okay. But we sat on the runway for like an hour because a lot of flights got canceled. So we were one of the ones that didn't, which was lucky. <laughs> they do it on purpose so that then people get more desperate. The thirst really yeah. kicks in. <laughs> I'm sure. They're like, just I'm do sure a few, they do. Just do a few laps of the of the runway before we take off. Yeah. It's, it's summer. People are really, they'll, they'll, they'll buy those yeah. nine pound bottles of water pretty soon. I mean, it is amazing, though, because they just pack people into those planes. Like, when you walk on the plane, there are literally people sitting that, like, that you almost bump into them as you're walking into the plane. That's how they stack them in. It's, it, is, it is impressive. I mean, the CEO of Ryanair said that they really wanted to have standing sections in planes. <laughs> I mean, that was... I, a- actually, I would prefer that. Than so, what I had to do in this easy jet. Cause I mean, it's such a small, uncomfortable seat. It's brutal. And so, yeah, their idea for short haul flights, obviously, because his argument was like, you don't encounter a lot of turbulence and it's fairly straightforward. 
but that they realistically looked into the idea of it was sort of one pound for a, sta- a standing seat and that they would <laughs> just have a whole section of standing seats. That, but, that sounds like a disaster though. Oh yeah. Especially when you consider the type of person who often is taking that flight. <laughs> yeah. And especially depending <laughs> on where they're going, like the idea of a Friday flight to a popular destination for say bachelor parties and you've got a standing <laughs> section that just sounds, <laughs> that sounds like, a disaster is it a standing section or a heckling section? <laughs> or a puking section. I mean, just imagine just a slip section after a little bit. Yeah. it was, And the other, obviously, issue with EasyJet is the luggage. And, you know, you, that's another thing you have to, you have to pre, pre-poy <laughs> or prepay or pre-buy. <laughs> um, you can either do, you have to prepay for your carry-on, like, Besides, you get like one small carry-on, and boy, are they strict. This one, <laughs> this one couple, they had a backpack, and it was pretty full. And the woman's like, "You can't bring that on here." And he's like, "What do you mean? It's my personal thing." She's like, "No, it's too big." And he's like, "No, it's not." And she's like, "Go ahead, put it in the they they put that little box thing right in front." Yeah, the they, thing like, that they no one really doing. uses. Yeah, yeah. So she's like, "Go ahead, put it in," and he puts it. In, it doesn't fit, so he pulls out six books. And then he fits it and it fits. And she goes, what are you going to do with those books? And he's like, I'll just hold them. <laughs> She's like, sir, you're not going to hold six books for the entire flight. He's like, I will. I'll do it. And like part of me wanted to be like, dude, it's 15 pounds. Save yourself the dignity and just pay the fucking money. You're holding books like a four-year-old child right now. <laughs> And then he tried to, then he had like a, uh, you know, like when, when Europeans wear the fanny pack around their shoulder, I don't know what that's called. The shoulder fanny pack. Yeah. The, the Jamie Tart bag. <laughs> the, yes, exactly. Yeah. He tried to stuff the books into the Jamie Tart bag, but like only a third of it fit in. So it was like the Tart bag just had like half of, half of a book hanging out of it. And it's like, dude, you look like a fucking idiot. So it was, I mean, you, it, it's entertaining to watch. And I mean, it, it's not like that's the only case. I mean, I was one of the first ones. I just happened to be by the gate. So like they, they, of course, they make you line up like cattle and they like ring you in one by one to sit in the lounge to get to the plane, not even to like get onto the plane, just to get into the lounge to sit there. So I was like one of the first and I was just like standing by and just watching. I mean, they must have flagged 20 people because their backpacks were just a little too thick just to be dicks, you know, just to get that extra, that extra scent. Well, yes and no, right? It is them being dicks, but it's also the whole point of a budget airline is yeah, they're trying to make money. Make you, well, no, it's not that. They're trying to make use of every, you know, centimeter of space on the airplane. And so if they give you a little bit of leeway, then they have to give it to everyone. And then their whole business model falls apart because suddenly there's not enough space for people's overhead baggage or you know, they've made the seats smaller and now some guy's trying to shove a oversized backpack underneath one of them. So oh, look, look, look who's sleeping in the bed with big budget airline. <laughs> I do not fly budget airlines. So sometimes a, you got to do it. <laughs> I've only flown one once. I mean, yes, sometimes it just, it's the only viable option yeah. to go to certain places, which was, I guess, your issue. I've only, I only made the mistake once. I flew EasyJet to Croatia once and that's just never happening again. The the other funny thing too was when I checked it, I had a uh, a hold bag to bag to put underneath, 
and it had to be 23 kilos. And on my first flight going into London, that bag weighed about 58 pounds. So about, it had to be 23. It was probably like in the 26, 27 kilo range, so significantly over. So I had to pull a bunch of stuff out and put it into my backpack, one of which is our lovely microphone here that weighs like three pounds. This microphone is super heavy. So I pull that out, some of the heavy, like heavy pair of shoes I had and some other stuff. I get on the thing. It's like 23.3. And I guess they actually give you some leeway because it didn't ask to to do extra. So now I like I knew this was going to happen, but I was like, I got to try. So I like do all the things and then I start taking stuff out of my backpack and stuffing it back into the bag after I'd put the tag on. So it takes the bag and it's like just about to go. And it's like, eh, eh, eh. it's like discrepancy with weight. Discrepancy with weight. Well, yeah, so, I mean, there you're so causing like, whole issues for the, the actual plane safety. Well, it was like an extra two kilos. So they come back and the guy's like, what happened? And I was like, oh, I, he's like, oh, there's an, like the weight's not the same. And I was like, yeah, I know. I threw some other things in because I just didn't want to carry them. He's like, oh, what, what'd you put in? And like, I pull out the the microphone he's like oh dude that's way too heavy he's like if it's if it's less than a kilo it won't it won't recognize it but it's definitely like you must have triggered it and i was like all right whatever so i put that back in but i had a bag of white protein powder <laughs> like a big bag like a big ziploc in my in my backpack and i was like fuck it i want to carry this because like if i pop it it's going to go all in my bag and shit so now i pull out this big <laughs> white ziploc full of powder <laughs> I like stuff it like really sneakily as he's like turning away into the hold luggage. And these three people behind me are just like, holy shit, is he fucking for real right now? <laughs> and I turn around because I knew someone was going to say something. I turn around and I'm just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it was, it was like, they were like younger kids, like in their 20s. And they all just were like, okay, okay. And like didn't say anything. And I stuffed it in and like walked away. And I could hear them like talking the whole way I was leaving. It was so funny. Like yeah, that's that's my scheme. I fly budget airlines and stuff, and stuff a kilo Ziploc full of fucking cocaine in my bag. I've only had one big issue with overweight luggage, which is a story I'm sure I've told you. But like when I moved back from Sweden and I moved all my stuff, I flew back with a TV in my. It was a small TV screen. It was, but I flew back with a TV screen shoved into my. I checked. I paid extra that I was flying with <laughs> SAS. I checked two bags. How big is this TV? Um, probably like 24 inches, whatever the size, oh, okay. like a large like a monitor com- now, <laughs> like a computer monitor, basically. Yeah. But you know, I, and, uh, no, it wasn't like a 60 inch TV that I'd somehow dealt with, but I, uh, I, I had all of that. I had my bedding, you know, it was one of those things I was, I was a student. So I was like, let me just try and pack everything and see. And I paid for extra, an extra weight allowance. And then when I went to check it in, I was way over. So then I started doing the calculation of like, what can I throw out? It has pretty much no value. So like bedding and stuff went because it was all cheap, just like Ikea stuff. That was like, cool, get rid of that, easily replaceable. I was also flying back with some alcohol. And I was like, okay, I can get rid of the alcohol. None of this is like Oh, I know where this is going, I think. And I gift, and I was like, I'm going to throw this away. I said it to the woman at the the desk. I was like, I've got to throw this out. Do you just want to take it? It's unopened alcohol. She's like, we're, we're, she's like, we're not, we're not able to accept gifts. And I was like, it's not really a gift. It's just either I walk over there and throw it in the garbage can, or you can take it. It's still sealed. Like, I'm not. And yeah. she, and she was like, oh, but this is nice. And I was like, I'll just take it. So she and one of her colleagues 
took it. Then they reweighed my bag, and she was like, "It's still over by two kilos." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Are you really not going to give me? I've just given you probably, I don't know, it's probably like two hundred euros worth of alcohol." And uh, I was like, "Sir, we can't take gifts." <laughs> and there it was. That was extortionate for the extra because then it was like, "Oh, you need to pay for a, like if you were over by that." It was like, "Oh, you got to pay for another fifty kilos." Yeah. You know, like they're not the increments in which they're making you pay for it. It's not like I couldn't pay for just, oh, what about a five extra? It was like, no, no, no. You need to pay as if you're checking a full heavy suitcase now. Yeah, that's going to be, that's pretty good. But to carry out maybe one of our smoother transitions, speaking of people who came back with more than they left with, and who knows what arrangement they had with the budget airline that I they undoubtedly took to Turkey. Manchester City flew home with an extra trophy, a few uh, extra medals after their success in the Champions League. The treble. Completed the treble, which for those unfamiliar, they won the FA Cup, so the sort of premier domestic cup, the Premier League, the league, and the Champions League, which becoming only the second side Manchester United did it in 1999, and then now Manchester City have completed the treble too. Wasn't the greatest game ever. No. I think it was a little bit of a, mostly kind of a stalemate to be expected sometimes when you get Italian teams because they're not the most adventurous. And I don't think Manchester they're City... boring. Played. Yeah. And <laughs> Manchester City didn't play particularly well, but scored a good good goal through an unlikely source in Rodri. And then yeah. did just enough to hold on to a 1-0 win. Unfortunately, your Grealish first to score two or more city to win bet did not come through for me. <laughs> no. I mean, he acknowledged after the match that he played like shit. Those yep. were his own words. So who saw that coming? Which <laughs> could have bet I, that. <laughs> if we were doing hot take, you know, we're not big like talking head hot take people. If I was doing my hot take on this, it would be Erling Holland. Does he come through when Manchester City really need him to? Because a lot of big matches, he hasn't no goal in the FA Cup final, no goal in the Champions League final. Uh, he didn't score in the semifinal against Real Madrid. You know that you can kind of run through a list of key matches where he's sort of gone missing. Yeah, I mean that's tough though because, I mean maybe he does go a little cold and he's young. So maybe he just gets himself a little too worked up. You know, he doesn't know how to handle the, I wouldn't say call it pressure, but he doesn't know how to handle the moment when it's like a big game. You get too excited. Maybe that's the case. I mean, he doesn't have much great international experience in big matches. <laughs> um, but the other issue I think is that maybe the teams are playing more aggressively towards targeting him. Therefore he's, covered and other options are then open you know i mean maybe maybe teams are saying we're not going to lose by his hand because he's scored 50 goals this season let's let's shut him down and put an extra effort to contain him and leave other options potentially open yeah i mean you might be right i mean why aren't teams doing that every week would be the response to that but you might because right. they probably I, can't because they probably don't have the talent to even even do that. Maybe, but I mean, it it, it just shows you know it, it, as I say, and we've spoken about it previously. When people earlier in the season before Manchester City had the comeback in the league, there was that criticism of like, are Manchester City a better team without him? 
is he too limiting a great goal scorer but contributes pretty much nothing else and like they're obviously a better team with him and he's been a tremendous success and i don't agree you know like i was doing the talking head bit but it's not really what i actually think but there is definitely there are matches when you do see the fact that he pretty much is just there to score goals and he doesn't score a goal he hasn't done too much else but on other notes worth worth saying oh actually he did give an inspirational i felt afterwards you know i i do actually quite like early holland as a person he does come across as being relatively humble for someone having the success that he is having and seems quite nice he's probably would be fun to spend a bit of time with especially when he's not on like off season when he then is eating and drinking differently he's never off season <laughs> but he did say in his one of his in his one of his post match interviews that you know that he hoped that this was an inspiration to lots of people to see someone like him from just a small town in Norway achieving what he's achieved it shows that you don't need from to be from a big city or a big country or anything and I really thought to myself, you know, or, yeah, if my dad, <laughs> if my dad had played 34 yeah. times for Norway, played for Manchester City and Leeds, and I'd had, you know, all of that access to the idea of being a professional <laughs> footballer, then you're right. It's an inspiration to all the people who fall into that very limited category. Yeah. Well, isn't helped by the fact that his father sets up like his training re- regimen, his training routines, his eating routines. He has, you know, private chefs come to make meals specifically well, I, for him. I mean, that's not his dad. I mean, that's that's now. But but it kind of is his dad, because I, I've read interviews where his dad basically told him, like, if you want to be a pro, you have to do this every single day. Like, you can't have lapses like you, but you know, anyone's no dad drinking, could. No. Right. OK. But any stuff. anyone's dad could do that bit. The point is not maybe, but it, it 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 means a little more coming from someone who was in the league. <laughs> sure, but that's like there's plenty of athletes whose parents just you know whether that's Serena Williams' dad or Andre Agassi's dad or you know you could run through a list of people whose parents decided early on that they kind of wanted their kids to be professional. Tiger Woods' dad. You don't need to be a former professional to be able to have strict rules for your kids and a sense of what would help you to achieve success. However, when when this goes for any industry, it's not nepotism. I mean, there are obviously examples of nepotism, but when one of your parents did something, without even saying it opens doors, it just makes it realistic in your mind that that is achievable. For most people, the concept of becoming a professional footballer seems so distant that even if they're talented, they might not really commit to trying because they would just think, what are the odds that I actually make it? Whereas if your parent is a professional footballer, then you think it's normal. It's like, well, my dad's a lawyer. I guess I'll become a lawyer. And, you know, so to make it out like I'm just some small town kid from the middle of nowhere in Norway whose dad played for the Premier League, you know, like it's it's a little bit different. And again, I'm not trying to be overly critical of it, but it definitely is slightly slightly different but you know i still think you know he gave a nice interview jack Grealish gave his standard super honest interview and kyle walker said that he was going to drink any drink that was put in front of him that night which i think maybe a dangerous statement but still (laughs) sounded like fun yeah i feel like kyle walker could be pretty hit or miss if you go out with him 
I feel like he's a guy who probably likes to have a good time, but he also kind of seems like a little bit of a prick. Yeah, <laughs> like I think the I personality. Don't think, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if I would be his biggest fan. No. Uh, another other thing worth noting: Sheikh Mansour, the owner of Manchester City, was in attendance for the final. It was the first time he had been to a match in nearly 13 years. The last time he had attended a match was August 2010. So that's wow. a committed, committed and dedicated owner. And when we're speaking about owners from the Middle East, maybe a way of shifting away from very briefly, I know we dedicated so much of the last episode to the PIF's investment into the PGA Tour, the so-called Live Golf PGA merger. I don't know if you saw, but today it came out that there is going go. to be a Senate, a U.S. Senate investigation into the planned investment on, based on a number of concerns, which are, which are not including, but not limited to the fact that the PIF is using its investments in sport to further the Saudi, Arabi- the Saudi Arabian's government strategic objectives and that it, this would be them assuming control of a cherished American institution, which I'm sure <laughs> the, the average American really does care passionately about the PGA Tour. Yeah. And also the fact that the, which the PGA Tour's sudden and drastic reversal of position concerning live golf raises serious questions. So it'll be interesting to see what the outcome is from that Senate investigation. I mean, they're not wrong on a lot of it. <laughs> no. Now, is that the best use of Senate investigation time and resources? Probably not, but sure. And look, you can make a legitimate case for the fact that a foreign government starting to invest in, you know, institutions based in a country that maybe held some influence, like golf, perhaps not, but how would they feel if the PIF buys the NFL next, you know, like then where do you draw the line? That could be, Yeah. I mean, the question is, is are we now back to a daily update of the live tour for the, for the, probably the foreseeable future. Yeah. God damn it. Especially because <laughs> we've we got the U S open obviously coming up. So it's a big, it's peak golf time. We got the U S open, then we have the open a few weeks after. So we're in the full swing of things from a golfing perspective. And then you have to throw in the off the course updates that will also be ongoing. Yeah. I did get to watch. I watched a lot of the Canadian Open or the RBC Heritage, whatever it's called, over yeah. the weekend. Rory McIlroy seemed like for three rounds, he felt like he was just going to be in there. And then old Rory three round. <laughs> yeah, he cannot. He cannot. <laughs> why didn't he go to the live tour? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have dominated. That's why he knew it was unfair. That's why, that's why he's so against it, because he knows he missed the opportunity. He would have been dominant in three three rounds. And then, yeah, he just fell apart on the. And I felt sorry for Tommy Fleetwood still chasing his first PGA Tour victory. I think it's his fifth or sixth time finishing second. To um, lose out on a 72-foot putt, that don't yeah. make things better either. <laughs> no. He was in a position where he was likely to lose that playoff hole anyway, like even if he yeah. just put it close. But the fact that it removed the possibility of him trying to sink a putt to stay in it, uh, yeah, it was... He, he did react well to it, though. He seemed you know, like... like he, you can react one of two ways. You can be like, are you fucking kidding me? And just like storm off. Or you can be like, wow, that was that was really amazing. Like, that's a way to win, man. Like, I'm pissed that I lost, but that's a way to win. And I he kind of did that one a little bit. 
last week we got to see the class of Victor Hovland, right? And then the fact that the day after he turned up to carry the bag for 36 holes for a friend of his. What an A-plus character that guy is. Victor Hovland made himself look super classy. I actually think over the course of that entire final, the final few holes and the playoff itself, Tommy Fleetwood really showed how classy he was as well. There were a lot of like thumbs up to other people for hitting good shots at key moments. He never seemed like he seemed to really be enjoying someone else playing well, even in a moment when you're going straight head to head. And I do agree with you. I think there was an acknowledgement to have a Canadian win that tournament in that way. And when it's not a, you're not up against a superstar. Like I think the reaction would have been different if that had been like Tiger Woods singing that putt. He would have been like, really, really? You got to have another one. Like this is, this is, this is the one. You don't even care about this tournament. Probably this is when you got to win it. But when it's a Canadian in Canada, and that's yeah. in your mind, you're probably thinking that is the coolest moment of your life. Likely going to be like the first highlight on the highlight reels of your career. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. See now, Eddie, when you said. Uh, the luggage is going to be a little heavy. I thought you were going to mention that the flights back to Serbia might be packed full of things because you have Djokovic who won the French Open, and I mean, I'll I'll duke a curse to heat the Nuggets right now with the Nuggets today probably about to win the NBA championship. Yeah, I mean, look, even if they don't win it today, I don't think they're going to lose three in a row. So I think it's fairly safe to say that the Nuggets are going to become NBA champions for the first time this year. And uh, yeah, Djokovic winning his record-breaking 23rd Grand Slam doing so. He looked in difficulty in the first set. He was broken. He came back. He went to a tiebreak. And honestly, he looked tired. He didn't look like he, he had an so many unforced errors it didn't look like it was going to be his day to a certain and then he had that class that only sort of elite players have which is he got better as the game went on yeah and the stranglehold like as soon as it's kind of like watching like a wrestler or you know like some grappling going on and you're sort of struggling with your opponent and then as soon as you feel that space to sort of move an arm into or move a leg into and then it's just tightening the grip very slowly and yeah he he was dominant in the tie break and dominant in the second set and then from that point on you just knew there was no way he was going to lose but cool for him i mean to win 23rd i don't think the debate as to who the greatest tennis player of male tennis player of all time will ever be settled because i don't think it will be done based on statistics but he has a winning record against all of the other major players from his era and he now has the most grand slams if and i mean then in all likelihood he's on 23 he's probably going to finish on 26 27 so he's going to finish way clear of where anyone else is to me to settle the debate absolutely to have it almost set in stone if he can win all four this season he's already got the australian the french in the bag he's going to be the overwhelming favorite at wimbledon and the overwhelming favorite of the u.s open if he can win all four in a season then i think it's going to be hard for someone to argue that he's not the greatest player of all time yeah it is very true i mean and like we keep waiting for this new wave of players to step up and this was the premier opportunity 
for Alcaraz to to step up and win the cr- French Open. And he had the cramp, right? And you got to give him a pass on 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 cramping. So I think it's a matter of time with him. He he will dominate the French Open probably. I don't. I'm not convinced he's going to dominate elsewhere. I mean, I'm sure he'll win. You know, a few on other surfaces, but. He's not in a doll where it's going to be absolute domination on clay plus elite level play everywhere else. I think it's going to be consistent winning on clay plus in the in contention of in other places. So, and obviously Shriatek won the women's. Yeah, she she's kind of got it locked up. As I feel sorry for her because she just has a lack of high caliber opponents to prove how good she is. It's the opposite. She doesn't have the, the like litmus test of, okay, that's also a great player. If you beat them, then we know how good you are. Yeah. You can kind of poke holes in her resume because you just look at it and think maybe aside from Sabalenka, there's no one really to seriously test you at this moment in time. Yeah. But and then you know, like we said, I think I think the Nuggets will probably close it out tonight. And you know, the the Joker of the NBA is is putting on a clinic. I hate how everyone just calls him Joker all the time because his name isn't his name isn't hard to say. I know, and, but it's funny. And Americans, it's like there's just the unwillingness to just say a foreigner's yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. And so you can't just say, "Oh, Jokic." It's, and I'm not not you. Like, no, no, I do. I do it purposely because that's like they'll all like it's all they say. Like I have all the time. Having like, it even as ESPN, an, like yeah. the headline will be like, "The Joker goes off." <laughs> and having it as a nickname, sure, it's the nickname that kind of makes sense just because the name. But to just for people to legitimately be discussing the game, we got like, great game, great game by the Joker tonight. Great game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's, weird. It's bizarre. <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately, I won't be staying up to watch that. I honestly, I probably at three one, I probably won't be either. Yeah. So, I'm more concerned with my first ever driving on for me. What is the wrong side of the road tomorrow? I'm quite nervous about this. Oh, you've rented a car. <laughs> yep. Interesting. Yeah, I've rented a car and I'm going to drive about an hour away to do a hike. And then another thirty minutes to uh, to a distillery. But I presume you've rented an automatic, right? Yeah, definitely an automatic. Because yeah. you don't at least you don't have to deal with the no. coordination element of. I can you. very very badly drive stick. Like if we were in a life or death situation, I could maybe make a, get an escape. <laughs> okay. But Good. I don't want to add that to the to the on top of the fact that I'm going to drive on the wrong side. I think the best. My best move is to just make sure I'm kind of on, I'm on a road that someone else is on and just tail someone else. So hopefully they're going to the exact same spot. Yeah. I think that might be the worst move. I think <laughs> blindly following the car in front of you is it's not that but you know hard. What I, to... But you know what I mean though? It's like no, it's it's not that's hard. It's just like a muscle memory thing. So if I'm the only one on the road. And like, I'm just going to kind of revert to how I normally drive. Whereas if there's other people on the road, I can kind of just fit in line and do what they're doing. So I can like, you can get it easier, I think. Can you turn right on a red in Arizona? Yeah. 
Okay, well, remember you cannot turn. Can you turn left on a red here? No. Red means you can't go anywhere. Okay. Red means no. (laughs) Yes. There's no, uh, there's no shortcut with the red. Yeah. Yeah. In Arizona, you can make a right on red. You can shoot your gun on red, do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That'll be interesting. On that note, we'll we'll have have an update (laughs) for the next podcast. Well, or not. Maybe I'll be solo. (laughs) Or you'll have an update. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might have no updates to left to provide. Might have to get Sam back on board. <laughs> but on that note, should we hand things over to our interview? Let's do it. Welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. We're now delighted to be joined by this week's guest, Dan Jedzeviks of Our Cricket. Dan, thank you so much for taking this time to speak with us. Honestly, thanks for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I love talking about cricket. I love listening to you boys as well. So I'm I'm keen to be here. Awesome. I mean, we've awesome. got we have a decent percentage of our listeners who cricket is obviously not uh, a kind of main sport for them. I think we benefit in a sense that a lot of people who listen to us like listening, sort of hearing information about sports they don't necessarily closely follow. But it's nice to have people on then who can provide us with a little bit more detail and context. And to have, you know, we've been a big fan of your your content on YouTube for a long time. And actually, it's been interesting, maybe as a, as a starting point then, sort of how did you get into cricket-related content creation? And at what point did that become something that you thought you could take sort of somewhat seriously? Yeah, of course. Um, so the journey's been going for about six years now. Um, so not a huge amount of time really in, in the world of kind of content creation and YouTube, maybe getting on for seven, but six or seven anyway. And it started off kind of a, as a fairly serious approach towards content. It was a, um, what kind of educational content can we, can I, can I kind of add to coaching, uh, courses and things like that and because uh, I was I was volunteering at my local cricket club so coaching the, the kids down there which was which was a lot of fun um, and the whole idea was what extra could you kind of provide um, to allow them to, to, to kind of do some things at home when they weren't there for that hour and a half and that was good fun um, but I think when you're not very good at cricket and you, you kind of put things or any, good at anything really, to be fair, and you put yourself out on the internet, you, you get reminded quite quickly that you're not actually that good. Um, so maybe, maybe I wasn't the best person in the world to be uh, teaching people how to play particular shots or bowl particular deliveries. And if you want to do that, if you want to learn how to bowl leg spin, just, just Google Shane one. Or if you want to play a cover drive, Google someone like Ian Bell, like watch those guys, not like a dozy person who plays amateur cricket in the UK. Um, and it quickly changed. It kind of noticed that there was a gap really in the market, that there wasn't um, wasn't really like a cricket content creation space, really, if that makes sense. Like there was there was a lot of people out there making football or soccer, obviously, in in, in kind of your guys' instance, um, American football as well, basketball, um, so much content being made. But cricket seemed to be kind of a sport that had been forgotten about, which may be a truer reflection of the world in general rather than just kind of social media content full stop um, and decided to have a go at filling that space um, and started to kind of develop a few more kind of funnier videos, a few more lighthearted attempts at trying to showcase how fun that this sport that, that I obviously love can be. Um, and I think I've been full time on it for just about two years now. So it's been it's been a wild journey, um, but it's been a lot of fun as well. So it's been it's been great. So so just 
you said an amateur cricketer. What what level were you going into doing this? So what'd you say? Yeah, so I currently play in Division Seven of the Sussex Cricket League. And I think for context, from the Premier League down, there might be 12 divisions. So I am about as middle of the road as you can possibly get when it comes to... You're right to... in the thick of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people that are way better. And uh, fortunately, I mean, somehow there are some people that are worse than me as well. But yeah, we're, we're all in it together. We're all amateurs. So it's all good fun. Now, do you think, real quick, sorry, do you think you've gotten much better since starting the content and doing this and, and going out there and learning from the best and kind of putting together these videos? A hundred percent. Yeah. Massively. Like it's, it's been, not only has it been great fun making the content in a really selfish way, I've got a hell of a lot better at playing this sport as well. Um, and I think honestly, so much of it is mindset genuinely. Um, and without, cause I'm not any kind of psychological expert, but like when, when you've been clean bowled by Adil Rashid, it doesn't actually matter after that. Like it, you've literally, you, you've got to the point, you've been cleaned up by a bloke who's won the World Cup. It doesn't matter what Dave, who plays for Worthing in Div 7, does to you on a Saturday. It's almost irrelevant, which is a bit disrespectful, but I kind of feel like I've, I've kind of had the best of the best. Dave will probably accept it. But, I hope so. <laughs> so then, because obviously some of your content has been filming you sort of with a GoPro going out and batting and sort of in the middle of a, in, in the middle of a match. For the most part, from watching it, it seems like that's pretty well received by opponents. Have there been instances where people, either you feel as if it makes you an even bigger target because it kind of brings them some pride to get out the, the guy with the GoPro, or have there been moments when teams don't sort of like the fact that you're making content out of playing against them? I think, um, I think for the most part, um, because people have been really receptive of the content that's been made, um, but genuinely really supportive of it, um, sledging is a massive part of cricket. Um, and I think potentially the lower down you go from professional down, potentially the worse and more personal it gets at points. Um, but for me personally, like I've not really had a great deal. You get the odd kind of classic line. Oh, we'll get one for the GoPro here and stick that on YouTube and this, that, and the other. But I mean, honestly, like if you're going to put a camera on your head, you're kind of opening yourself up to those kind of comments anyway. Um, and it's quite funny. And if someone wanted to be really nasty, I mean, I'm the one editing the videos, aren't I? So like that content stays in. That's my title and that's my thumbnail. So, I mean, thanks very much. I mean, maybe you have some accountability by having the GoPro on. People don't want to... People don't want to rip into you and have it put on YouTube and have their face with a with a terrible, you know, taunt or something. You know, I, th I think that could be. There's a guy called um, <laughs> there's a guy called Can You Cricket. I don't know whether you boys have, have seen him. He's a South African guy who plays up in Lincolnshire. And uh, he I think he uses like a chicken kind of noise every time someone swears at him. And there have been some real kind of like back to back kind of chicken noises um, in some of his videos. So I don't necessarily think it makes you immune immune to it. And then sort of piggybacking off the idea of you getting better, is there, and I'm sure you'll be totally humble when it comes to your cricketing ability, is there any part, have you ever thought to yourself, if you'd had that sort of opportunity and access at a younger age, do you think kind of what level could I have reached if I'd had the right mindset, right approach, access to incredible coaching and knowledge from say 12, 13 years old? Yeah, I mean, so for me to add a little bit more context to that, I didn't even watch cricket until I was about 16 anyway. Um, so I, like my childhood was spent playing different sports and doing different things. Um, so that whole kind of childhood thing is, is, is a little bit kind of, 
it's not as straightforward for me to answer as maybe as what it could be for a lot of other people. But I think the short answer is yes, to be honest with you. Um, access is such an important thing when it comes to this sport, particularly in the UK, um, with the way the UK structure is in, in place of uh, gathering talent through um, academies and, and age group cricket through your, your districts. Um, so Sussex, for example, will have age group categories all the way down through to I mean, possibly even under 10, maybe even lower than that. And if you've got that kind of access to those those real high quality coaches or obviously able to kind of ask those questions to those guys that have played professional cricket, then yeah, absolutely does. Whether it would have made any difference to me or not, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean I, I'm very, very mediocre and I'm quite happy where I am. So maybe a couple of leagues up, but nothing to the point that I'd be sitting here as a professional cricketer at all. That's the well-coached answer. That's the that's the answer that won't get you any additional abuse next time you got the GoPro on. So that's uh, that's the answer that his videos have taught him to say. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if I just sat here and just went, "Yeah, I think I'll be playing in this Ashes series." I give it another ten years. You know, if you can keep keep progressing, you never know. Might I mean, Jimmy, be all this... Jimmy's still going at forty-one. You never know. Yeah, exactly. This is you know always well, room room for hope. Our, our listeners would definitely know the answer if that question were directed to Eddie because. Oh, you know, yeah. He thinks he could play anything to begin with, so give give him that coaching and that talent. I mean, he'd be he'd be up in Australia against Australia right now. <laughs> oh yeah, well yeah, exactly. No, hundred percent, I'd be in there. But I guess then transitioning onto the Ashes obviously gets underway in a couple of days' time. And I know you've you're a very vocal supporter of Moeen Ali and his recall to the to the Test team, which. I think adds a, an element of interest, but perhaps when you kind of dig into the statistics and the data, maybe not the smartest decision from England's perspective. What are your, is it entirely heart overhead for you when it comes to his inclusion in the England test squad? Nah, not at all. Like I, as you said, like I make no, um, no attempt to hide the fact that I, that I love this bloke. Like he is one of my favorite cricketers to watch in any format. Like he is, he, he, if I had to pick one to go and watch, like I said, you have to go and pick a guy to go and watch on inform. I'd pick him every day of the week. Like he is, he makes it look so easy. Um, of which I think a lot of people are probably incredibly jealous of. I think, I think it's interesting. I think you're right. I think the points that you made about the statistics and the data, I think are incredibly valid. And, and I mean, his form of late almost is slightly irrelevant because he just hasn't played any Red Bull cricket for the last two years anyway. Um, but the form before that wasn't, wasn't outstanding by any stretch um what what message does it send to like the younger spinners that have been playing in the the domestic circuit since april this year um who maybe thought they were the ones that would be next in line to replace jack leach if obviously the worst has happened to jack which obviously it has um people like don bess uh, people like ray and ahmed who played in pakistan uh, people like matt parkinson I, I don't know. I, I don't know what message that sends to those guys. And I don't know how, do they use that as motivation to, to get better? Um, I don't know. Or do they take it as a bit of a kick in the pants that it's kind of like, well, you're not going to pick me anyway, because this lad's just come back. But I mean, I love him. Um, but I think it's, I think it's a bold, it's a bold choice. Yeah. And I guess there's been some criticism of England teams in the past, right. For kind of being like job for the boys, element and this does feel a bit like well you're really good friends with the captain and pals with a lot of the other key players so you get the call up in spite of the fact that you probably shouldn't be the first in line 
Yeah, I, I don't know. And you guys might kind of weigh in on it, whether kind of a similar instance might have happened in, in other sports where where kind of this might have kind of the same might thing might have happened. But I think Rob Key, I saw him, who's the, the director of English cricket, he was saying about the fact that they were looking and made a decision as to who they felt the best player to pick today was to go and win this Ashes series, which personally I think is a really refreshing viewpoint from this England team. It's kind of felt in years gone by that we as, as an England team have always been looking at the next time England go to Australia. Um, that seems to be the absolute cherry on the cake. And I think quite rightly so as well. It's either winning in India or winning in Australia. Um, and winning in Australia has come almost impossible um, in in recent times. So it's always felt like, oh, we're going to pick a guy and we're going to give him some opportunity and we're going to give him some time because we think he's going to be the right guy in three years' time. And often, and history proves the fact that that's never really worked for us. So I think it's a refreshing kind of viewpoint that they're going to go, actually, we want to win this series that starts on Friday. Let's figure out what we need to do to win this today. And then we'll deal with Australia when we go to Australia when we get to it. Um, so I quite like it. But equally, yeah, as I say, I, I don't particularly think it's a great message to send out to the young guys. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I agree with you. And to a certain extent, it makes sense anyway, because you've got a team that's not really built for the future in terms of quite a few aging key components. So you can make it, which the argument can go either way. That either emphasizes the need to sort of blood some youngsters, because otherwise you're going to have to replace six players in the space of six months, and that spells disaster. Or you can say there's going to be a, a painful transition period, so why not maximize the good period now? I get, I can see how you can fall on sort of either side of the coin. Speaking of then, uh, we spoke before we started recording about cricket video games. And in a sense, England, with the baseball approach, have kind of ad adopted a video game sort of style to playing test match cricket. I got... I'll start with the easy question with, do you think throughout this Ashes series, even if it's day five, fifth test, everything on the line, do you think they will just stick to their guns and the baseball approach will be there from ball one to the final ball of the series? Yeah, I think so. I, I really, truly believe it. And I, I think they're pushing the envelope and I don't quite think they've got to the, they haven't quite got to the level yet that it, that it isn't going to work. Um, so yeah, I think they they're going flat out for it, and um, and I don't I don't see why they would change it because it, it didn't work in the past. So yeah, I, I I think I saw Ben Stokes already said if going into the last one they just need a draw, they're going to come out and just go go for the win no matter what. So like it's it's out there literally like it's it's he's not hiding it. <laughs> it's easy to say now. It's you know when when it kind of push comes to shove and everything's up for grabs, you might decide let's play sensibly that's going to be the interesting thing for me and they might not find themselves in that situation anyway because it either might go horribly wrong or it might go incredibly well but you know if you do find yourself in that in that spot will they will they stick to it and then i guess there's been a lot of debate then on the back of the basketball success over whether it's kind of almost breaking test match cricket what are your thoughts on that and also do you think in the long term and from a spectator's point of view, do you think it's an entirely positive thing for Red Bull cricket? Um, I think it is. I don't necessarily know how sustainable it is. And I don't particularly know how easy it would be for the rest of the world and the other nations to kind of pick up this this mindset to, to, to approach it. I think you've got 
with with this current England team, and when you look at it, you've got a lot of players in there that, or the core of that team anyway, they won the 2019 ODI World Cup. And the likes of Root, Bairstow, Stokes, in, in those guys in particular, Moe now, they dominated that format. Like the rest of the world did not stand a chance against that England team in that four-year period uh, building up to that World Cup. Obviously, the World Cup got a little bit more nervous. Major tournaments, I think, always kind of adds a little bit more kind of niggle to it, doesn't it? But I think what they've looked at it, they've gone, well, we, we were really good at this 50-over stuff. Let's play that against the Red Bull. And and it has worked. I spoke with Joshua De Silva um, last week, who is the current um, West Indies wicketkeeper, and he said his view on it from a from an opposition perspective was that it was good for for Test cricket. And what he spoke about, he said the West Indies they're not in a position to be able to go out there and try and score at four and a half, five, six runs and over. But there are good things that they can take away from what they're seeing with this England team. And what they mentioned, in, or what he mentioned in particular, was the the faith and the security that was being put in the players. So the obvious one to talk about in England is Zach Crawley. Um, I think a bloke who went through a test match summer and averaged single digits had every right to be dropped out of a test match team and probably dropped several times. And in history and other nations probably wouldn't be playing in this series coming up. But England have invested in him. And what Joshua was saying was that their captain, Craig Brathwaite, has taken that mindset of we're going to invest in you boys and we are going to allow you to, to, to fail, but we do trust you and we do want to keep you coming back. So I think that you'll see a lot of nations around the world will take bits from this baseball kind of era, but I don't necessarily think that this kind of five and a half runs and over for a test match, I don't know whether it's sustainable for the rest of the world or even for this England team. So kind of getting back to, to the Ashes, Eddie talked a lot about this kind of being a veteran team, but kind of bringing in some of the youngsters. I mean, H- Harry Brook has been phenomenal in, in test matches that's being called up for England. How do you think he'll fare in his first Ashes? Uh, honestly, I, I just think he's going to step up to it. I think he's got all of the faith from those guys around him. He averaged 80 last year, I think, against New Zealand and, and India and South Africa as well. Um, he did really well in Pakistan. Um, and he, he's been, he didn't live up to the price tag in the IPL, did he? He's got a hundred and then got literally no runs to, to kind of add between him and any of his other innings, but he looks, he looks quality. And I think we're going to see so many highlights packages of Harry Brook innings during this ashes. Um, and I love him. I think he's great. And I love the fact he's English. So I guess on the back of that, maybe put you on the spot a little bit as to whether or not you have some bold predictions for the Ashes series itself, both from a outcome, but also from player performance. Yeah, I think I think Scott Boland from Australia is going to have have a great series. Um, probably wasn't like the the number one pick going into it, but he's kind of developed himself into a little bit of a cult hero after the MCG, and I think they're still building a statue. I don't think they've quite got it out there yet, which is a bit which is a disgrace. I mean, he tore the hearts out of our slot or our English lot during the middle of the night at the MCG, but they haven't built him the statue. He's going to go well. He looks like a cricketer that's, that's born and and built to to bowl in English conditions. Travis Head as well. He has had a ridiculous three years of, of Test cricket for Australia. He's striking in the in the eighties. He's averaging sixty as well. He he looks phenomenally good. England. Um, Joe Root is an, is an obvious choice, but I think he's going to have a massive series. Cam Green is going to fancy him. He had him, in, he had him in his back pocket during the series in Australia, but Joe Root, I think, is going to have a great one. 
And mowing as well is interesting, you know, like he's come out today. It's, he's come out and said, oh, I'm not even playing for my spot. So I'm not even under any pressure. And I think mowing under no pressure is, is, a, is a different animal. Um, so I'm excited to see him go. And I think he's going to be a really dangerous bloke coming in at number eight and a really good cricketer, a really good bowler as well. In terms of results, I'm going to say 3-1 England. Um, only because it's bound to rain at some point in the UK. It's, it's our summer, so we're, we're going to get a few days of, of rain. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just see us having too much for them. I, I think they've they've looked at Basel. They've gone, we know what it is. And I don't think they're going to know what it's going to be until they kind of get toe-to-toe with it on the field and they suddenly go, okay, this is slightly more serious than maybe what we gave it credit for. And has your confidence at all been diminished by Australia's performance against India in the World Test Championship? Uh, not really, maybe a little bit. I didn't, I didn't think that India team were that strong to be completely honest with you. They, they I mean, the obvious things to say that they didn't really have the greatest prep, did they? They kind of flew straight in from the IPL final landed to play a five day game of cricket where a lot of blokes hadn't even, they hadn't bowled more than four overs for about three months. Um, the two seamers, Shami and Siraj, I thought bowled really well, but Umesh and Shardul didn't really back them up particularly well. I think that England bowling attack is streets ahead of what India had to offer. So no, I, it didn't really, didn't really affect me a great deal. And they should have picked Ashwin as well. And, and then we could have kind of been speaking about Australia losing that and then losing six test matches this summer, but we were not. So, <laughs> I guess you, you bring up the preparation there and Rohit Sharma has said basically that it wasn't sufficient for going into a test match. And, you know, one of the topics that's interested us um, in recent times, we've, we've, you know, put some time into covering uh, the upcoming Major League Cricket and this sort of new development of franchise cricket breaking out around the world. And with it also a, a sort of bigger shift in the idea that you'll have players who are just centrally contracted to their franchise and just travel around playing that. And that will just be the dominant form of cricket. I guess it lends itself to younger audiences and new audiences and also to content creation because it's typically or generally more exciting than a test match. Are you, what's your stance on it? And do you think it's a good thing for cricket or it's sort of, you know, in any way, short-term thinking in terms of the damage it could do to the sport overall? Yeah. Um, am I allowed to ask you guys a question as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, can I ask it before I answer that question? Go for it. And what I'd love to know, and, and I appreciate yeah, I appreciate yourself. You're based in Paris and I appreciate Frank. You're currently in Aberdeen as well. However, I'm so curious as to understand the vibe of, of MLC in the States at the moment. Like I'd, I'd love to kind of get an inside scoop of what the, what the coverage is and what pe- are people talking about it? Like, I really want to know. Frank, what's your take? How much coverage have you seen in Arizona on, on ma- upcoming major league cricket? Absolutely none. Right. <laughs> and, and I mean, and, and, and for reference too, you know, I'm on ESPN all the time, which is going to be like the main, you know, sports website in the U S that people are going to. And I have yet to see anything pop up about major league cricket. I mean, maybe once or twice. And that might just be because I've searched it in the past that it kind of is like, is targeting me a little bit, but overall, you know, I, I haven't seen any commercials. I haven't seen any advertisements and I'm in Arizona, so I'm not in, it's going to be in, Houston, Dallas. Yeah. Grand Prairie, I think. Uh, Dallas, I think. Yeah. Dallas. Yeah. yeah. So uh, maybe there's going to be a lot more there. So, but I have not seen anything on television. Yeah. I guess for you, you're 
A, that none of the franchises are based where you are. And also, I might be wrong here, but I don't think uh, Arizona has a particularly large Indian or Pakistani population, which can also probably shift. You know, like they are t- highly targeting expat communities or, you know, in different regions of the U.S. But I certainly, I mean, I'm not in the U.S., but constantly reading stuff across various and watching stuff across various sports media outlets. And aside from around the draft itself, where there was maybe a little bit of attention, just in, hey, there's a draft taking place for this sport that we don't really understand and this league that we don't totally understand that has a few famous investors, but supposedly famous players who we have no idea who they are. (laughs) Aside from that, like 24 hours, I've seen absolutely nothing. And that's even when there have been you know, in the, I mean, Andre Russell has just agreed to play and Ryan's just agreed to play. And, you know, I think the thing that they will struggle with slightly is it's not as if there's going to be any real name recognition there. So, I I mean, funny enough, actually, I did get an email today from the major league cricket (laughs) because I'm signed up for, for things saying that they've added new players, which I don't understand because they've already had the draft. So I don't know how they just start adding players in. It's a complicated. The first there's the first the first season is not very easy to follow in terms of how this is working. It's also hurt by the fact that you have these teams based in different places in the U.S., but they're all playing. But they're only playing in one. They're spot. all the games are being played in one place. I will say it's on my calendar, and I do plan to go. I don't know when. I don't know if it'll be you know towards the opening or towards the end, but it it is marked on my calendar, and I'm going to make a really strong effort to go. So, I, but again, I enjoy cricket, so. I don't know if I can get anyone to come with me. That'll be the, that'll be the challenge. And I mean, I guess that's the thing. Cause we've spoken with some representatives from major league cricket. We had Liam Plunkett on the podcast kind of talking about it. They, there's a lot of optimism on their end. I think there has to be, and they've raised a lot of money and have big financial backing for the league. Part of me feels like if they were honest it would this is just supposed to appeal to you know demographics within the US who already have an interest in cricket which there's huge like you can be a massive success just from all of that i think the likelihood that someone who's never really seen the sport all of a sudden says you know what this is this is it this is this is my entry point to a new sport seems less likely but who knows yeah i mean i i desperately hope it does um I've spent not a huge amount of time in the States, but, but I've been over a few times to various different places, which, which I've really enjoyed. And you kind of get into conversation usually in a bar, um, which is where I spent most of my time in the States. But first, first of all, when, when people kind of ask you what you do, you suddenly say, I'm a YouTuber and they start to think, Oh, actually you're quite cool. And you you do something really interesting. Uh, And then they, they quickly kind of get a bit confused and a bit disappointed when you turn around and tell them that you make cricket content. Um, but there genuinely, there genuinely does feel like there is a little bit of a fascination and a bit of mystique about the sport in the in the states. It, it's not. I never got the impression it was it was kind of complete ignorance to the fact that oh we we don't even know it exists type thing. And ignorance might be the, the wrong word, but um, it, it always kind of felt like oh no, I've heard of that, and I spoke to someone who spoke to someone who used to play it or something. So there seems to be kind of a a knowledge and a and a bit of a mystique about it without it ever really taking off and i don't watch a huge amount of baseball um 
but from what not I have many people, watched, not many people do. In fairness, so well, that's... That, that was going to be one of my points. But from what I have watched, it's it's normally played in front of kind of half empty stadiums on a good day, and you get to see I don't know half a dozen home runs. Whereas you could watch three hours of cricket, you could watch two hundred plays two hundred, you could watch twenty sixes, twenty five sixes being hit, and maybe maybe it, maybe it's because baseball isn't particularly popular, but it kind of feels like that there's a recipe there that it, that it could be really good. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. And you're right. I mean, most most Americans you speak to have some awareness of cricket, but a lot of the times their first thought is, "Oh, the rules are impossible. There's no way I can." That sport is incomprehensible, yeah. and and that might put some people off because they just think it's it's like three D chess. You know that it's just how on earth am I? And I I went through it with Frank. It's three D baseball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I went through it with Frank. I went through it with some other friends. Of look, I think if I if I sit down with you in in thirty minutes, you'll have a fairly good. You're not going to get all the nuances or exactly why someone's doing something, but you'll know how you get out and how you score yeah. runs, and you can kind of appreciate it from that point on. But yeah, it will be. I don't know what you think, Frank, in terms of no, I. I, I completely agree with Dan. I think I grew up watching baseball, playing baseball, loving baseball. And then as I became older, I realized just how boring it had become, how slow it had become. And exactly what you said. I mean, now we're in an era of baseball where it's either a strikeout or a home run. And even then, the home runs are still you know few and far between. But then when you watch cricket, especially T20, which to me, I think is the, is the best They've chosen the, the best approach because I think the other thing you hear a lot of times with Americans when you talk about cricket, oh, those go on for like 14 days. They never end, you know, you know, and that's like what they have that perception. When I tell them, no, like T20 is is quicker than 98 percent of baseball matches. You, you know, it's it's quick and they're they're hitting a ton. Like you're going to see a, you know, a, a ton of big hits. It's a lot of fun. And I think if you can get people to actually sit and watch it. And I do think the rules will have to be, they're going to have to do something unique where you have to cater to, like Eddie said, someone who has, you know, decades of experience watching it, but then also someone who's new and is kind of trying to learn the rules. If they can find a way to kind of put that together in a format and have people actually watch it, I think it'll be successful. I, I mean, baseball now has gone to being quicker and more explosive, you know, purposely with the rules. And that's what cricket is. Like it's, it's a more explosive baseball to me. And I think it's really fun. Like it, I, I hope it takes off because I, I would really enjoy actually having the potential to watch it more than, you know, one month a year in, in one location. <laughs> Unless I, I come to the UK. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're also helped, right? Like ESPN on the top plays and stuff does pretty regularly now incorporate like a, a stunning catch like particularly on sort of right on the boundary they love those ones so i would say like during the ipl or the big bash you probably get sort of one or two highlights a week appearing on the top 10 plays so that helps them and then things like john boy who's obviously dedicating a fair amount of time to cricket coverage i think that's showing my fear would be is that you might have people with an appetite for it for like very short videos. Like they'll be like, oh, the highlight package is cool. And I want to listen to John Boy explain like the final two overs of the match. But am I going to tune in to ESPN and watch a couple of hours of cricket? Maybe not. Yeah, I, I yeah, I buy, I buy into it. I do buy into it, but. I mean, that's American sports. They don't, they're not exactly quick, are they? Let's be honest. 
No, and and the, the the other advantage it has over baseball. I mean, baseball got quick. It, they introduced this pitch clock, so you only have a certain that, and that's made the games quicker. The the advantage cricket has, at least, which is something Americans love, is that you have a set time. You know, you within reason. You know, if I sit down to watch this, this will end at time X at the very latest, which baseball kind of doesn't have. You're putting yourself in for an indefinite sort of three ish hours, but who knows. So I think that's appealing. Uh, the one thing that I do worry about slightly, the names are maybe not great. And I know that they've then had to try and maintain, in some cases, the sort of link to other franchises. But, you know, I think like MI New York is going to confuse people, mm-hmm. especially when they then ask, like, what does the MI stand for? And it's Mumbai Indians. And then that's going to really throw people off. But aside from that, I, mean, well, I think it will be fun. But I don't know. And I think in the long term, it will be successful because they just got so much money behind it. And just there's a global audience and, you know, people are going to watch it. Whether or not there's that many people in the stadium, I think that would be the issue. Yeah, I think I, I'd echo that point. And I think you, we've seen that around the world with other T20 franchise competitions. Um I think the one that always stood out for me was the Abu Dhabi T10 that, that goes on. I think they've got a lot of similar investment in a lot of the teams are part of those families and appreciate the weather is quite different in, in Dubai. Um, um, but you do get a lot of games where you get the impression that it's there for a TV audience rather than kind of bums on seats in the ground. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it, it, it does take off. It, it'd be brilliant because I, I do think it's got all the right ingredients to be something really special. Yeah, I mean, look, I I pretty frequently watch the European T10 streaming on YouTube where the quality of the cricket is absolutely (laughs) awful. The commentary is slightly baffling but amusing, and there's at most maybe 12 people in attendance. And that gets, when you look at this, like when you're looking at the live viewerships, it's decent. And it's mostly people from the subcontinent. Like it's not a European audience that's tuning in to watch it, but if you put that on a much bigger level with big money behind it, then I'm sure it will be a success. Just maybe not in the in the way in which they necessarily hope it will be. I don't think there's all of a sudden it's going to be like cricket has become just behind the NFL in terms of the most in you know popular sports in the U.S. All of a sudden, every turn up though. But then, on the back of that, I guess. It is fun and it is nice to see the sport kind of spreading to new countries. But then getting back to the sort of that downside is obviously there is a huge risk and it's already being seen with some players where, you know, the concept of playing test match cricket just completely goes out the door. The idea of playing county cricket would be totally unappealing and that you'll just travel the world playing for the Mumbai Indians in various locations around the world and it will be a full-time job you'll make you know, exponentially more money than you currently make. Is there any part of you, as much as you might be looking forward to those sort of individual leagues, but who worries about what that means for the sport as a whole? Uh, yeah, is is the short answer, yeah. Uh, I think that's a big part of that is the fact that cricket is a very traditional game, uh, has a very traditional set of um, laws and mindsets and ethics. And I think I'm probably kind of, being slightly swayed by those and i think it's something to kind of say actually i'd rather it kind of stayed how it was because i like it how it is at the moment but that's not to say that that change isn't 
isn't a good thing and, and doesn't have the ability to be a really positive thing for cricket going forward. I know Jason Roy was the the guy, wasn't he, that that kind of caused the big stir probably, what, two weeks ago now where he walked away from his England contract um, to turn around and say, actually, I, I want to go and play in, in the MLC. Um, England obviously backed him for that. They said, you can go off and do what you need to do. Um, Jason Roy is one of those guys. He's on the the, the back end of his career now he, he's won what he's won with England and he, well as everybody knows like you, you don't get any younger D um I if you look at I suppose if you look at it in in the kind of football kind of soccer mindset and England would need to go to Manchester United to ask for Marcus Rashford to go and play in whatever qualifiers or friendlies or World Cup that England had they don't have that they don't have that right or that ownership over that player like the boards currently do with the with the cricketers. And I was chatting to a guy called AJ Ty, who plays, I think he might have played about 50 odd games for Australia. Um, he's 36 now, so he and he's done the IPL, he's done the Big Bash, he's done the 100, he's done the Blast. So he's done pretty much everything you possibly can do as well as international cricket. And I guess that the mindset and the change would be is that we go more down that it sounds weird to me to keep calling it soccer, but the the soccer kind of football route, and your your you have a contract with Mumbai or you have a contract with Chennai, and the ECB then have to go to Chennai and say, is Mark Wood fit to come and play in this in this T Twenty World Cup? And Chennai turn around and go, yep, that's absolutely fine, um, and it works that way around, and potentially it's good because instead of paying Mark Woods half a million pounds a year for his contract, whatever he might be on, I've got no idea. Um, the ECB can invest that half a million quid amongst with all of the other contracts that they're going to be paying out at the moment. And they can invest that back into cricket as a sport in England and Wales as a as a whole and and potentially make cricket a better sport and a better environment for for amateurs like me, for, for people that want to go to watch England play, um, for the county game, or for all of those things. They could reinvest that money and they don't have to then find those salaries because Chennai are paying for it or Mumbai are paying for it. So I don't mind it. I, I really don't mind it. But I do think cricket is going to really like fight and scream and hang on and and really kind of uh, make it as difficult as possible to to go away from this central contract mindset to you can go off and play for Mumbai and play around the world. Yeah, because I mean, I guess the concern if you're the ECB is you're just losing all control. And then even for certain players who don't fit into the T20 mold and are unlikely to be, you know, making huge money. If you're say Alistair Cook, would he have a career 20 years from now if it goes down that path and you're sort of denied one of England's great test match batsmen who most people would now, you know, really appreciate the skill that he showed, but he's never going to be opening the batting in a, you know, in a, in an IPL match. So you can, there's going to be people who are very resistant. And then the big question becomes, what do you do with Red Bull cricket? Because it feels like it's just the end of test matches, which probably only really matters in a couple of test playing nations. I don't think South Africans would be particularly upset. No one turns up for their tests. But certainly in England and Australia, it would be a radical change. Yeah, I, I think it's a good... I think it's a good point. Um, I suppose the white ball side of it would be would be exclusive for a few players. I mean, Mumbai wouldn't want everybody. Chennai wouldn't want everybody, and, and you would you would assume that 
that, as I said, that money that England might be paying or Australia might be paying to those players at the moment would be reinvested. And you would, because ultimately you would still need to have a, a breeding ground, wouldn't you, for those for those young English players, those young Australian players, those young South African players to, to come through. So there would still need to be a domestic um, structure in place before the likes of... Um, as you said, the Mumbai, New York or Mumbai Indians, whatever, turned up and said, we'll give you 150 million for Joffre Archer or something. And the ECB go, thanks very much. That's really helpful. We'll take it. Um, so I think, I, think they can co- I think they can coexist. I do think they can coexist. But I think it's a valid point that you made about people like, like Cook. A player of that nature isn't going to benefit from these, these type of contracts. It is going to be a select few. And, and maybe that does create a bit of a divide. In terms of the future of Test Cricket, it's been pretty well documented, hasn't it? And a lot of people have spoken really passionately about it and um, about the the money that that it doesn't make um, for a lot of nations. Like I think a lot of nations operate at a loss when it comes to hosting test matches, with the exception of when Australia, India, England are in town or those three nations play one another. Um, the three nations will continue to play one another. They've obviously got the biggest series going. The the um, the Ashes is obviously the in my opinion, the biggest um, in terms of history, in terms of rivalry. Um, the Border Gavaska Trophy between India and Australia, I would say, is the biggest in terms of eyes. I think as soon as you put India involved in anything, you struggle to come up with an argument as to why that's not the biggest series. Um, and that rivalry between those two, with particularly what India have managed to do to Australia over the last couple of years when they've been to Australia, has has just added a little bit of extra spice to that rivalry. And I think there are kind of statistics going around that when India play Pakistan in a World Cup, it kind of outranks pretty much all of the other sporting events. So the second you get those eyes on there, you're you're struggling with others. Does Bangladesh keep playing West Indies? Does the West Indies keep traveling to South Africa? I mean, ultimately, it'd be a a, a huge shame because of the history and the players that that have come out. Like the West Indies alone, when you think about the players, Sir Vivian Richards, Clive Lloyd, Malcolm Marshall, Sir Garfield Sobers, and you think about um, some of the South African players that they've got at the moment as well with with Kagiso Rabada, Angry Knokia, um, Quinton the Cock as well. I know he's not playing the, the, the Red Bull side of stuff at the moment. But you think about the history that there is associated with those players and those nations, it would be a huge shame if that history wasn't to continue. But at the same time, they, they've got to be run as a business, haven't they? You, you can't, you can't operate as a, at a loss. And I think that's a real concern. And I don't know how that that is changed to the point that these test matches become profitable. Yeah, I don't know. I certainly don't have an answer to it. And I agree with you. And I mean, I don't know how many people are waking up, certainly in the time zone that we're all in at the moment, early tomorrow morning to watch Bangladesh, Afghanistan in a test match. So, you know, there's, there's moments when you're, it's clearly not that attractive to a, a larger audience. I guess the interesting thing would be to see how that impacts player development. Because to a certain extent, certainly from a bowling standpoint, playing red ball cricket, even though it uses a, diff- a different skill set and different tactical approach, at least gives you kind of more match time than you're ever going to get from your you know, couple of overs you're going to get to bowl in other formats. It would be interesting to see if that hurts. Like definitely in the, in the past 20 years, we've seen an increase in skill levels as a result of white ball cricket and the emphasis it places on those kind of either fielding requirements and everyone has to learn how to bat a bit, which wasn't the case, you know, in the prior to that. But it'd be interesting to see how a lack of red ball cricket overall might impact skill, certain skill levels. 
yeah, it's it's almost an impossible question to answer, isn't it? I think. Um, and I, I would hate I would hate it if it did if it did go. Um, I genuinely would. But you can see it. It's a difficult sport to follow Red Bull cricket. We spoke about it earlier, didn't we? With the fact that the MLC has, has picked up the most exciting format to kind of launch cricket or attempt to launch cricket in the states timing of the red bull stuff is difficult like I, i'm doing the commentary for northamptonshire this summer um and the difference in in like numbers through the gate is huge for the t20 nights compared to what you'd get on a, on a wednesday afternoon for the for the county championship it's not a convenient sport to watch which i think becomes its biggest challenge um but I do think it will carry on. I, I do think that the traditionalists, I do think the particularly in, in the UK, in Australia and in India, it will carry on. Um, unless, of course, something changes massively. And then that big kind of that big cherry moves from those white ball contracts to the red ball contracts. But at the moment, I can't see a world as to where that where that happens. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's similar to baseball in the sense that all of those day games and stuff, unless you're unemployed or a student, you know, there's not, it's hard to be able to get to go and watch a live sporting event on a Tuesday afternoon. You know, it's not exactly ideal unless you really, really absolutely want to go. So the kind of walk on aspect goes out the window. I've been surprised we're, we're attending, I guess I'm not super surprised. We're attending a, a, one of the T20 matches at, at the Oval next Thursday, a Surrey match. I was surprised with the, at the speed at which the tickets sold out. In my mind, I thought we've got plenty of time to try and get all these tickets. And in the space of sort of 48 hours, I quickly watched seats just disappear, which is good news, but I, I certainly wasn't expecting it. Not good for not good news for all of us when we want to sit together and you've ruined oh, that. But yeah. thanks. Thanks for that one. It's, it's all right. We'll survive. For the for the four people in attendance who have never watched cricket before, it will be a great experience. That will actually we'll be able to get back to you. We're taking four there people. You go. Four people to cricket who literally may have seen it on television, bits and pieces, but have no idea what the rules are, no interest in the sport. And so we'll see. And you'll have an American trying to explain the rules to them. (laughs) Isn't that that a full circle moment? (laughs) Yeah. So we'll we'll see how quickly they get into a a Surrey T20 match. Who are they they playing? Do you know? I think it's Middlesex, maybe. I looked it up. The other day too. Did you say Friday or Sunday? It's next Thursday. Thursday the twenty second is against Middlesex. So yeah. Um, what I would reckon, I, I would hope, I would hope that Surrey win the toss and bat first, because um, I don't think Middlesex are the best T twenty team in the world at the moment. <laughs> and uh, all in. Yeah, sorry. So I think if if Middlesex win the toss and they bat first, I think you could come away with a few disappointed people that have that have watched cricket for the first time and possibly the last time. If <laughs> if, however, if Surrey win the toss and bat first with the players that they've got around with the two Currens, with Laurie Evans, um, Jamie Overton, Will Jacks, people like that, I think I think there's a great chance they could score nearly 250, 260. And I think you might get a few repeat customers. Yeah, no, that's the, yeah, and it, that's the interesting thing, right? And it, going back to that, um, so much of it depends on your first experience sometimes. Um, when I was at university, I'm a Blackburn Rovers supporter, and I took a bunch of people who had never been to a professional football match before to watch a Blackburn League Cup match away at Charlton. And none of them were really into the idea of going to watch football. 
and 60, 70 minutes into the match, there had been one goal. The weather was awful. The quality of football wasn't particularly high. And it was mostly complaints. And then Charlton went 2-0 up. And then in the final 15 minutes, Blackburn scored three goals. And then that just completely changed their minds. From We kind of drove home and all of them asked, like, when are we going to a match again? And it shows you just how important in terms of getting people hooked that first time you step inside a stadium or first time you watch a match, you know, how that can so heavily influence whether or not you get into a sport. Yeah, that, that game, that game will be huge. That London derby is, is a massive game. So I think you've definitely picked the best one for the first impressions. Hopefully. And look, even if Middlesex bat first and are all out for 60, they won't really know that that's a bad score. And true, it will just, true. it will just be a very quick, quick cricket match. And maybe they'll walk away being like, I don't know why people say this lasts for days. It was over in, <laughs> in, in 45 minutes. That was great. I couldn't even finish my second beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so then I guess speaking about that kind of the, the, the franchise cricket, what's your favorite league then to watch? when it rolls around. You might enjoy them all, but which one's the one that you most look forward to? So I, I'm incredibly biased and I, I love the T20 Blast. Um, so that's the the UK domestic um, competition. Um, I think for the, the biggest, re- the two massive reasons for me, one is the fact that there's an hour and 15 minute time limit for each of the innings, um, which is brilliant. Like I want to watch T20 cricket because I want it to be quick and I want it to be fun. Um, which with all of the strategic timeouts and advert breaks and everything else that you get with the likes of the IPL and the PSL, you just don't get. You, you, if you get an innings done in two hours in the IPL, you, you've done pretty well. And the other thing as well is finals day at Edgebaston. Um, I genuinely think is top three best sporting occasions in the world. You get three games of T20 cricket on the same day at the same grounds um, it's high quality. They are the four best teams in the country. Um, everybody in the Holly stand, um, which is the, the kind of the rowdy row, if that makes sense, turns up in fancy dress and gets progressively more drunk and sunburnt as the day goes on. And, and the atmosphere just builds and builds and builds until you finish under lights with fireworks in, in the night in Birmingham. I, I think I don't think anywhere else in the world when it comes to T20 leagues, I know it's not a franchise league, but it is essentially the, the same thing, does anything close to that. And for me, like that, that will always hold a special place in my heart. Um, the other one was always the Big Bash, so the Australian version. Um, when I'd wake up, it'd always be on at like half past seven, eight o'clock in the morning, UK time. I'd, I'd be able to watch that before I went off to work or, or whatever I was doing. I've lost a little bit of love with it, but I know they've made some effort, haven't they, over their off season to make it a little bit more, a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker. Um, because I do think some of these tournaments can get a little bit greedy with how many games they have on and how many adverts they can they can fudge through the the, the tournament. So short and sweet and snappy is what I'm after when it comes to to these tournaments. And that hour and fifteen minute kind of window is is huge for me. Yeah, it's a strong case for the T20 Blast. I'm a big fan of the Big Bash, just for the same reasons as you're waking up and having it on, and also just the timing in terms of the year, sort of around the Christmas New Year period. So you might have some time off, and there's not always a lot of sport going on. So you're going to have that opportunity to kind of watch it. It's fun. But the quality hasn't been great in the last couple of years, and they've lacked a bit of star power at times. But you also get to see Australians loving to stick 
KFC buckets on their heads, on their heads, which I always find to be slightly bizarre. But then Eddie also loves the Caribbean league. Yeah, I mean that one's. You are, you are a, a closet supporter of the Caribbean league. I'm not a closet supporter. I'm an. I'm an I'm you never a... mention it. You've never mentioned it on the podcast, but I have to hear about it every day. I mean, I like when it's on. Again, the, the quality is not necessarily always high, but the entertainment value is there. Yeah, and people are willing. The, the, they are entertaining. Yeah, and it's not the tactical play is not always the best, but they'll they'll deliver on either doing something great or something a bit stupid. And Jared, unfortunately for me, it's one of the only ones that is on at a viewable time. So, and and Jared Kimber, when he was on, told us that it was a, an experience like no other. I, I think he <laughs> said a few right. things that are not very repeatable in terms of what the the atmosphere was like in the stands. I would I would love to go, and I'd love to to experience it as a competition. I was lucky enough to go to Barbados uh, twice in 2022 to watch England play some T20s. Um, and then the test match afterwards, which was dull as dishwater, but the, the, the T20s were amazing. And I can sit here and say, if either of you two get the opportunity to go to the Caribbean, Barbados in particular, with the, with the history that there is there in that, in that country and the, the cricket ground as well, just go. It, it's amazing. You, you can sit one side of the ground on a jet ski, on a, on a, on a beach, um, drinking rum punch cocktails. Um, you can sit in some, some stands, which, uh, which are adorned by kind of Haynes and Greenwich and, and Joel Garner and people like that. And you just kind of feel like you're in a really special place. The weather's amazing. The people are brilliant. Um, the beers are cold and the food's good as well. So just get yourself out there because it's amazing. Oh, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. I was so... J- j- <laughs> oh, here it comes. Yeah, he's coming out of the closet now. You're during, Mr. Caribbean here. <laughs> during the, during the uh, pandemic... I on multiple occasions was so close when they were doing kind of you easy to get a visa to move there to work remotely. It was if other things in my life had allowed to do allowed me to do that more easily, I would have been there in a heartbeat. But yeah, so th- those are all the positives, and I'm you might not say ne- anything negative necessarily about this, but if you love the T Twenty Blast, hun- the hundred is it a yay or nay for you? Uh, it's a bit like Marmite, isn't it? The hundred, um, or Vegemite, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, it's got, it's been amazing for the women's game. I think that's the most important thing to say first for the women's domestic game in the UK. It's been incredible. Um, to get the, to get the exposure on, on these female athletes who are absolutely incredible, um, has been so important and, it's it's been massive and i'm so incredibly grateful and proud that the ecb have put the effort into um putting these superstars on on the front page um they deserve it they are fantastic cricketers i've had the pleasure of of meeting a couple with them um i've had the pleasure of making some videos with them i've had the pleasure of commentating with them so knowledgeable so talented and as i say to to give them the opportunity um to become household names has been brilliant the men's stuff, I just don't even know if it was needed. That's the that I think is the thing that I don't think I'll ever be able to to get my head around or or kind of accept an answer for it. I I said obviously the the blast has been incredible, and I don't honestly know what value the hundred has added to. I call it T Twenty for example, but T Twenty domestic cricket in the UK. I I really don't know what it's added that the the T Twenty blast hadn't done already or couldn't have done going forward 
Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I do think also for casual fans, it then becomes a bit confusing because you have sort of multiple sort of competing against each other for the same style of contest in the same country. And then it just feels like, you know, almost too much. And it might make you watch neither because you don't know in a sense which one to go to. The one thing I will say, I know the concept got a lot of, a lot of flack. Part of me thinks that, say, adapting cricket to the U.S., the hundred ball approach at least would have simplified, like removed the concept of overs and sort of made it easier for a, a casual fan to walk up and say, okay, I get it. It's a hundred balls countdown and you can either do it in five or 10 ball increments. It's a little bit simpler. Yeah, just tell them it's 120. You could do, but then there's like the six over element. Like what's an over? Why is it saying 10.2? What does that mean? You know? And then when you have See, 10. I think that won't be too bad. It's like innings, you know, like, Americans have the concept of innings from baseball. It's kind of similar. It's Three really outs to an inning, six balls to a to an over. You know, it, it is really simple. But you know, when you think of it's like I don't understand fully the scoring in in like Aussie rules. I've never really bothered to try and learn it. But whenever I turn on a TV and Aussie rules is on, and I look at the the scoreboard. I have no idea what it is. I see them rack up points and I don't, I don't understand. Sometimes I'm not even sure which team is technically winning. And I fear sometimes that someone, especially in say the US will turn on cricket and see it says 10.3, dash seven. What does, what, what on earth does this mean? And then think I, I'm never going to be able to understand this. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it did. It definitely did that. It definitely made an attempt to simplify a couple of those uh, more complicated rules, didn't it? And I think there was some talk before the hundred launch that they were going to remove the the term wicket w- w- wickets, weren't they, and change it to outs? Um, which I mean, to me, is essentially the same thing, isn't it? They literally just changed the word. Like, if you can understand, if you can learn the terminology outs, you you can learn the terminology wickets when it comes in my head. But I think to remove overs, I suppose, does take away a little bit of the the confusion when it comes to to a new audience. Um, have the ECB and the 100 got a new audience? I, I don't know. I mean, I, the, a lot of the people that I've spoken to, they're, they're already members at, at Hampshire, for example, when they go to watch the Southern Brave. They, they've already been to watch various T20 games. They've already been to test matches. Um, and I suppose if you simplify those rules and those, that terminology too much, you end up creating quite a low ceiling as to how far those fans can actually go. Do you want those fans to be exclusive hundred fans or do you want them to be cricket fans as a, as a whole? Do you take them away from the hundred, put them at a test match or a 50 over game and they suddenly think that they're watching a different sport because a lot of the words and a lot of the terminology, the game potentially is different. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I, I see, I do see the point, but I, but I kind of feel like, well, there's there's laws and rules of the game. There's there's laws and rules of every sport that if you're invested in it, you do choose to to learn, don't you? Um, so yeah, I think I think tough. Keep it as overs, keep it as wickets, and um, and if you want to learn it, you're going to learn it. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah, you, and you're right. You run the risk of not getting new fans in, just pissing off the people who already like the sport, <laughs> and kind of losing on both ends, which is worst case scenario. But it'll be interesting. I still watch the hundred, but and, and yeah, and, and I mean, the, and the idea of launching kind of completely new sort of franchises, so to speak, with different names also makes it more difficult. Uh, yeah, some sometimes <laughs> I'm not really sure. If, you know, 
who who exactly is going to be involved on on what team and that that doesn't make it ideal i think they've done it better this year where the two tournaments aren't going to directly compete with one another um so last summer you would get players would essentially be taken away from their their parent clubs and and get put at, at one of these 100 teams so i think they've scheduled it better this year which was really important because i think that created a massive conflict amongst amongst fans the players not only the 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 women players but the the men's players have been really complimentary of it as a as an experience um obviously i get the pleasure of, of chatting to a few of them not only do they get paid quite well for it um which is obviously quite a big perk when it comes to to playing professional sport but also so many of them have said that like it, it's as close to playing international cricket as what you can possibly get. You get access to to more coaches, better facilities, um, a, a, just a general all round better experience than what you would get playing in the T20 plus. So for them as individuals, I think, it, again, it's, it has been a good thing. Um, it's kind of maybe opened uh, the eyes to some players that are on their way to play international cricket a little bit earlier than what maybe they would have done if they'd have just kind of played T20 cricket, T20 blast, and then suddenly been given an England cap and kind of turned up kind of bright eyed and kind of rabbit in the headlights type type scenario. So I obviously don't want to keep you too long. So I'll, I'll wrap up my questions and then, you know, usually the way we do it is Eddie gives the downer questions and I try and pick it back up with some of the, <laughs> the energy. So, so I'll, I'll do my more fun question. Uh, you talked, you know, going back to your content, you talked about, you know, you've had some really fun experiences. What's been the experience to you that you've been able to do that you look back now and say like, wow, how the hell did I get the opportunity to do that? Like, that's so awesome. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but, but facing Adil Rashid, I think has got to be, as big as what it's got for me so far, the the guy, the guy's an absolute legend. He, he's a World Cup winner, um, and I can't I can't underestimate like how cool of an achievement that is. Like there aren't many of these people around in any sports. Full stop. Let alone English ones. Like we're not very good at winning things as a nation. The English. Um, so to have had the the pleasure of the company and to be able to face a guy that that's won a World Cup for England. Um, is going to be really, really difficult for me to try and top that. Um, he was a lovely bloke as well. Went out for dinner with him afterwards. Um, went out for um, kind of mint tea and, and and just hung out and just had some really good conversations. So so that, I think, is, is so far, anyway, so far has is, is definitely been the peak. That's awesome. And then I'll have the downer question. When you've done, when you've made content then with professional cricketers, is there a is there a standout, absolutely worst performance that you've put in with either with a, pre- a professional cricketer in attendance, or actually when you've been making content with them? Uh, I mean, it's never a good day when one of the cameras breaks. Um, they're they're quite fragile, and, and cricket balls are quite hard, so that's not normally the the best combination. Um, Wait, Eddie, are you asking him like what his worst like my worst. performance was in front of someone? Yeah, exactly. Oh, like, right for it. So, <laughs> when so, were you at your worst? <laughs> on, so, so on camera, it's not going to surprise anybody, but it, but I have got a few ducks in my time. Um, I don't think I've got one on camera yet, but that I have got a few games lined up this summer where I'll be taking the cameras and, and wearing the GoPro. So there's every chance that that this year, and I've got no idea how on earth I'm meant to make an eight minute video out of me turning up, walking out to the middle, taking a guard, getting cleaned up first ball, and walking back again. But it's happened before. Um, about three. Slow-mo. Yeah, exactly. It could be that. Yeah. How many different angles can I get of me being cleaned up? 
Um, or I'm just going to have to make a really interesting vlog, aren't I, on the way up there? Stopping for a coffee and seeing how much content I can make out of Costa or something ridiculous. But um, in terms of like for my own personal worst performance, the earlier this year, the first T20 I played, um, I walked out to bat. I was opening the batting. Um, my captain turned around and said, I don't take the first ball of the game. You take it. And I went, all right. Well, it sounds like I'm taking it then. And I missed a straight delivery. I got out first ball of the game in a T20 game. And I felt pretty bad about that. But when I think about it afterwards, I kind of think, well, you know what? It doesn't get any worse than that, does it? I cannot do anything this year that's going to be worse than that when it comes to my batting. Wow. I could match it, but I can't you, do you could You could run your partner out on the first one and then get out on the second one. Okay, you fair you, yeah. You <laughs> yeah. Thanks for knocking me back down. Eh? <laughs> Something to aim for. Yeah. You know? It would go viral. That, that, you can make a good vlog out of that, even if it's only two deliveries. I got would, punched by my captain or something like that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Well, I guess on that note, Dan, you've been you know very generous with your time and it's been great chatting with you. Before, you know, where is the best place? Obviously, you've got your YouTube channel and social media. Sort of how can people watch your content and where can they interact with you? Yeah, so on YouTube, um, there's, there's three channels. Have a search for Our Cricket. Um, O-U-R as in kind of everybody's, um, have a search on that. There'll be all the content, content on there, apologies. And also there's a channel under my own kind of abbreviated name. So Dan Jads, if you, if you want to watch a bit of cricket, um, there is a YouTube channel called Dan Jads, um, which you can see me hopefully not get that golden duck on camera and, um, find out what other kind of bits and bobs I get up to through the year as well. And then all of my social media accounts are all kind of under my own name as well. So should be not too hard to find. There aren't many Jadzovixes in the world. Yeah. That's we, the benefit. We can't leave Mana's worst moment. We, we can't do that to him. So give all me, right. I'll get, how about a quick one? How about what's the best like viewing experience you've ever had either? I mean, live or not live, you know, what's your most memorable cricket moment? So that's, that's a good question. You know what? I missed out Headingley 2019. Gutted. I missed out the World Cup final in 2019. I'm gutted about that as well. I do genuinely think that the trip to Barbados, um, the first time getting to the ground, the first time, um, walk, I don't even think I was supposed to, but walked across the outfield and just kind of took in like the, the Malcolm Marshall end, the, the Joel Garner end, the Haynes and Greenwich stand, the Cigarfield Sobers statue outside the front of the stadium. Like that was a really, really special moment. And to, to think that the, the hard work that had been put into to get to that stage as well, I think made it even more special. So, so that is right up there for me at the moment until, until I get to a, until I get to an ashes test where Stokes does something crazy or we win another world cup. So well, there you go. Well done. Well done, Frank. You got us to end on a, on a more positive note. <laughs> and yeah, Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's been great, great speaking to you. And, and hopefully we can also have you on again, again in the future to talk, to talk cricket and, and content. Honestly, guys, it's yeah. been, it's been a pleasure. You've been great fun to chat to and I'm, I'm keen. Drop me a message and I'm, I'm keen to come back for sure. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. <laughs>